Revelation 19 as well. We were in the first handful of verses, uh, verses 1 through 10. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 21. And really the title of today's message is, Behold, Our King is Coming. Yeah! Behold, Our King is Coming. And that is epic news. In fact, Paul the Apostle, when he's writing to Titus, he says to Titus, under the unction of the Spirit of God who was dwelling in him, he says these words, he says, while we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, while we wait for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13, one of my favorite scriptures. The glorious appearing. Now listen, this is fascinating. Jesus, while he was here, he said to a handful of his disciples, he says, some of you standing here will not taste death until you've seen the Son of Man coming in his glory. And then the scripture goes into Matthew chapter 17, and it starts like this. Now, six days later, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and he took them up on the mountain, and there he was transfigured before them, and he shone with the glory that he had prior to his incarnation. They got to see the glorified Jesus Christ. And for John the Revelator, that wasn't the only time he got to see the glorified Jesus. You see, some 60 years later, while in exile on the island of Patmos for the testimony of Jesus Christ, the Scripture says he was there and he heard a voice behind him like the sound of many rushing waters. And he turned to see the voice that was speaking. And the Bible says as he turned, he saw the glorified, risen Savior Jesus. And he describes him in his majesty. And it is absolutely captivating. John is so caught with the glory. The Bible says basically like this, timber. He just fell prostrate before the Lord as a dead man. Jesus literally had to touch him to strengthen him so that he could stand to his feet. This is absolutely the crescendo of creation. Jesus Christ is taking back all that was forfeited by Adam in the garden. This is amazing. So read with me these handful of verses beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open. <laughs> Let me stop there for a moment. <laughs> now listen to this for just a minute. This is so cool too. The last time we saw heaven opened was in Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, John 
says he saw a window or a door open in heaven, and he heard a voice like the sound of a trumpet say, Come up here. Immediately, he was in the spirit, and he was in the throne room of God. He was caught up. Now listen, I wholeheartedly believe, and you can sort those parts out for yourself, but my theology personally is that that is a type of the rapture of the church. The trumpet sounds, and then the dead in Christ are raised. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and we will be with Him forever. Hallelujah. In fact, the Scripture says, encourage one another with these words. Listen, the first time we saw heaven open, we were ushered in. This time, in heaven, the door is open, and we're going to be riding out with him. This is exciting. Okay, here we go. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Verse 17, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and of the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Father, in these next few moments as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God, I pray, Lord, for your transforming work in our hearts and in our minds, that, Lord, we would be captivated by the truth contained within the word of God, that it would change and alter even the way we process and think that we would become more about the kingdom of God and less about the kingdoms of this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name and everyone said a strong amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, he has claim to this world and this universe. By right of creation, he reared it. In other words, he made it. He made it all. All things were created by him and for him, and all things consist 
in him. All things are held together by his word. He has right by way of creation. He has right by way of Calvary. He redeemed us. He redeemed us. Not with the blood of bulls and of rams, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He's redeemed. He's the one who was found worthy to take the scroll and to break the seven seals. And we find in Revelation chapter 19, redemption is finding its completion. For he is going to lay claim to it all. He has right to it by way of conquest. You see, the conquest is coming to the crescendo as well. The battle of Armageddon is about to transpire, and it will be a very swift battle. It will be the end, if you will, and a beginning that will start. So let's look at, behold, our king is coming. Our king's coming is gloriously epic. His appearance in glory, I reference Matthew chapter 17 and also Revelation chapter 1. The glorified Savior. There's a crown that is awaiting all who long for his appearing. I would that every one of us today would be sitting literally on the edge of our seats anticipating the soon return of our coming King. He's coming, and he is coming soon. The appeal to you and I, and really the appeal today of the message from the Scripture is to be ready. To be ready. Even now, if the Spirit of God is prompting you in your heart of areas of your life where you're not ready for Jesus Christ, the question we may be asking ourselves regularly, and we ought to be asking ourselves regularly, taking spiritual stock of where we are. Would Jesus Christ be abundantly satisfied with me as his disciple? You can immediately put yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being not so, and 10 being oh so much so, abundantly satisfied. Where would you find yourself? And if you find yourself anywhere other than the far other end, we know that we have work to do. We know that we have transformation to have its way in our lives. We know it's just a matter of us to cooperate with the Spirit of God and the Word of God and to come into full submission so that we can find the delight in fully serving the Lord. Someone say amen. Amen. Listen, if you agree that what Jesus has for you is best, why is it that we continue to resist the prompting of the Spirit of God in our lives? That's the age-old question, isn't it? Nod your head if you agree. Why do I continue to resist, right? Well, God, help us. It will be epic. So let's look at the Scripture, and let's look at his ride. Let's check out his ride. He's riding on a white horse. Riding on a white horse. I remember when I was in, uh, I was in France, and we took a tour of the Louvre, and uh, as we were walking through the Louvre, I saw pictures of Napoleon Bonaparte. And there were pictures of him in battle, and he was on his ginormous white steed. Now, Napoleon was not a very big guy, so it made his horse even look bigger. But, nevertheless, this massive white horse, and in it, the horse's eyes were like flints toward the fight. And I get this picture in my mind's eye of our Savior, faithful and true, 
king of kings and lord of lords. Now he's sitting upon a white steed, this big horse, white in color, that is denoting victorious. And I see him with the reins in his hands. And I see him holding back and the horse's head slightly tilted. And he's looking over his shoulders to his army. <laughs> you and I. And we're on our white horses. Some of you are saying, well, I don't know how to ride a horse. You will. You will. And I get this picture. And for those of you who are old enough to remember the movie, The Man from Snowy River, the one scene where he rides right past all of the other horsemen and these experienced riders because there's a cliff, and he goes over the cliff with his mountain horse, and he cracks his whip in the air, and he lands on the mountain's slope that's at about a 30% grade, and he rides down that thing, and I see our Savior on the brink of the cloud. And we're behind him, and he just, like, cracks his whip, and he just is over, and he starts riding down onto planet Earth. Now, I know that's an imagination, but what we have here is he is on a white horse, and the Scripture tells us that he is going to make war, and it is righteous war, righteous war for his ride. He is the captain of the hosts of heaven. He's the conqueror. He is our victor. Praise be to God. His eyes like fire. For those of us who are saved, hallelujah, when you've looked into someone's eyes who are just warm with fire, there's like an electricity. Oh, the warmth of the love that is kindled. And his love is perfect love. He embraces. There's no shame. There's no fear. There's no guilt. There's no condemnation. There's none of that happening. Man, the warmth of Jesus' eyes when he looks into our eyes, that's going to be great. But let me say this. To those who do not know the Lord, to those who are his enemies, his eyes like fire, they are a picture of certain judgment that is forthcoming, and he is coming to judge and to make war. His eyes on fire. In righteousness, he judges. His head, on his head are many crowns. Many crowns. The last time we saw our Savior, he had a crown on his head, if you will. It was a crown of briar, bramble bush, thorns with blood flowing down. Now, he's wearing not the Stephanos crown, but the diadem crown, and it is a many crown. It denotes his supremacy. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is our King, our soon-coming Savior, Praise God. Many crowns. His appellation. His appellation. That means his name. Now here's something very interesting. I would just draw your attention to this portion of Scripture in Revelation 19. We find that his name is sevenfold. Sevenfold. Now listen. 
of God, we are told, is the sevenfold plentitude. We're, we're told about it in Revelation chapter 4, about the sevenfold plentitude of the Spirit of God in the throne room. We're told about it in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 3, the sevenfold plentitude of the Spirit of God. And here we find seven different names, faithful, true, the name that is only known to Him, the unknown name, the Word of God. And I say God also in this one, so the Word and God. For John 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And verse 14 of John chapter 1 tells us, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So we have the Word and we have God, and then King of kings and Lord of lords, the sevenfold plentitude of our King. Hallelujah. And finally, His army. Verse 14 says, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed Him on white horses. Several things that I would just point out. Number one, we as the raptured saints, we as the raptured saints, if your faith is in Jesus Christ today for the forgiveness of your sin, listen, I believe wholeheartedly that this group will hear the trumpet sound. I believe wholeheartedly we will hear the trumpet sound. Albeit, if we don't hear the trumpet and we are those that become the dead in Christ, listen, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But here's the good news. The saints in the church are going to come as part of the army because the Bible tells us the dead in Christ will rise first and we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And what? And thus we will be with Him forever. Forever. So listen, if Jesus is coming back to earth, where are we going? We're coming back to earth with Him. So we're going to be riding on one of those white horses. And not only us, but listen, I believe that Revelation chapter 20, verse 4, would also allude to the very nature that the tribulation saints will be coming down to earth as well. And they will rule and reign with Christ for the thousand years. We'll hear about the millennial reign of Christ next week in Revelation chapter 20. The idea, we are coming and it's the army of God. Now listen, we're going to be clothed in fine linen. Thanks be to God. We won't be wearing these filthy rags anymore. Can someone say amen? That's exciting news. That's exciting news. Not only so, but it's going to be clean. Now, here's what I think about when I think about clean. I think about not only the garments I wear on the outside that get laundered on a regular basis, but the garments of my life. They're about to be clean. And they're not clean now. Everything that's going on up here, everything that goes on, out of, it's out of the heart, that the things that defile a man, right? And we all know about it because we're all sinners. We all got our stuff and our junk. We got a sin nature. Thanks be to God, we have the mind of Christ, but we still wrestle with our flesh. We won't be here. All clean. All clean. Good news. Thanks be to God. I can't wait for that day. Anybody here sick and tired of sin? Just raise your hand if you're sick and tired of sin. That's awesome. That's awesome. The 17 of you that didn't raise your hands, we should talk. <laughs> I'm kidding. All right, here we go. Let me say this, though. I will say this about sin. The reason we still struggle with sin in most cases is truthfully because we still love it. 
with me? God help and transform our hearts that we would have a disdain for the things that are reproachable in the eyes of God. That we would have the mind of Christ truly and we would begin to see sin the way he did and we would not desire it. It's a transformation. It's a washing of the water of the word. It's a heart change. It's a heart change. God help us. His arsenal that we have his appearance, his appellation, his army, and his arsenal. His arsenal, it, the scripture says in verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. A sharp sword. And he will rule with a rod of iron. His word. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us the word of God is what? Living and active. Sharper than a two-edged sword. Penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit. The bone and the marrow. And it is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. It is with this arsenal that he will excise judgment on the nations of the world. And the rod of iron, he himself will rule with a rod of iron, as we are told multiple times in Scripture. So our long-awaited king's coming, it will be gloriously epic. Say that with me, gloriously epic. Good. Secondly, our king's commanding Gravely extreme. Now look, there's a command concerning all of the fowls of the air. One of his angels that makes the declaration in verse 17, it says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. The battle of Armageddon, the final battle is about to ensue, and it's going to be a swift battle. But he has a command that goes out through the voice of the angel to the birds or the fowls of the air to come and be prepared. Verse 18, his command concerning all flesh. All the fowls and now all the flesh. Verse 18 says this, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and all those who sit on them, the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. They will have gathered together to make war against the Lamb and against His army, and they will not be able to stand. And listen, if you think for one moment that this is the beginning of the war and the end of the war, the war has been going on for nearly 6,000 years. Since the very Garden of Eden, when there was war, really waged by Lucifer against God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He challenged Eve. Did God really say? Listen, the battle had begun. The battle had begun. The rebellion happened prior to that. The culmination or the summation of the battle is about to transpire. And that's good news. I would say for all people, your loved ones and mine, that do not know Christ, that do not know Christ, like Dennis's co-worker who yielded his heart to Jesus just this very week. It's time for us to ask people the difficult questions. We must pursue. We must go after. We must. We must go to the highways and the hedges and what? Compel them to come in. Compel. That will require something of all of us. 
you say, well, I'm not prepared for that, that's okay. Get prepared. Listen, there's people around you and there's people around me that need Jesus desperately. And we are his ambassadors. Can I get a hearty amen? Amen. Listen, I would invite you, in most of the chairs in front of you, there's a little card that has a heart for the harvest sign. A heart for the harvest. An opportunity to have a 510 focus. When you pray to the Father and ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you five people in your life that the Spirit of Christ is communicating, loving, and seeking them. He's pursuing them. And when you work in conjunction with the Spirit of God to do your part, to be the voice and the mouthpiece of God, to live your life in such a manner that it will be without reproach and they'll see something different in your life. And they'll wonder, what is it about this one? What is it? There's something different. They have a power and authority I know not of. And I want it. I want it. And we introduce them to Jesus. If you've had the honor of sharing your faith and seeing someone give their heart to Christ, it produces in most cases an insatiable desire to see it again and again and again. Oh, that we would be, like Paul said to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Can't help you. Well, he has a command concerning his foes as well, but we'll really see that in the next one, so I'll just bypass that reminding us that our king is coming and it will be gloriously epic and our long-awaited king's coming will be greatly esteemed. So thirdly and finally today, our king's conquering will be greatly encompassing. It's actually going to transcend, transcend realms. Transcend realms. It will both be in this physical realm and it will be in a supernatural realm that we cannot see. Revelation chapter nine, er, 19, verses 19 through 21 say this again, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured. We know who the beast is. We know who the beast is. Revelation chapter 16 gave revelation knowledge of who these are. Or excuse me, Revelation 15. Uh, maybe I'm, maybe it was all the way back in Rev 14. 13, excuse me, the beast from the sea. The beast from the sea. It's the Antichrist. The Antichrist. The one who was against. He was captured. And with him, it goes on to say in verse 20, and with him the false prophet who worked signs. This is the beast out of the earth. Revelation chapter 13. Those two beasts, the Antichrist and the Antispirit, they're captured... And they're cast alive into the lake of fire and brimstone. That place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. The smoke will rise forever. So he conquers the beast of the sea, the Antichrist. He conquers the beast of the earth, the Antispirit of the false prophet. And he conquers the beast marked it's interesting, we saw that phrase used in several chapters previously on a number of occasions, earth dwellers. It's those that ultimately are the worshipers of the beast out of the sea, the Antichrist. And they have taken the mark of the beast, and they will be destroyed. It goes on to say, we 
pick up in the middle of verse 20. The prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword that proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and the birds were filled with their flesh. The Antichrist, the Antispirit, and the Antigod. Those that are against God. Those that are contrary to. In fact, up to and including, I would say this, just like the word Antichrist doesn't mean just against Christ, it means instead of Christ. So the anti-God is not just against God, but it's instead of God. Man being his own God. Against and instead of. And their destruction will be sudden. It will be gloriously epic, his coming, his commanding greatly to seem, and his conquering greatly encompassing. Listen. Peter tells us these things, and I'm going to conclude with this this morning. Peter tells us in his second epistle, when he's writing about the destruction of this earth that will be soon after the entirety of the millennial, there will be a refining of the earth, and it will be consumed by fire. In fact, the universe, the Bible says, all of the elements will melt with fervent heat. And he says these keen words, knowing these things, knowing these things, what manner of man ought I be in my holy conduct and righteousness? What manner of man? Knowing that Christ's return is at hand. What manner of man ought I be in holy conduct and in righteousness? Second Peter chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. I'll read it. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day? Here's the encouragement. And it really is encouraging. Sometimes we think, wow, this is heavy stuff. No, this is super exciting. And it really is encouraging because if I know I'm not living like I should be, just a matter of my decision, right? It's overcoming my own will and saying, no, by the power of God, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to do it God's way. We're all candidates to do it God's way. Amen? Amen. So what manner of man are you? Secondly, I would just simply conclude with this thought. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've not put your faith in Christ, you're not confident in your salvation. You say, man, I, maybe I gave my heart to the Lord way back here, but I had this span of living in my life that was not resplendent of one who is a Christ follower. And you say, I'm just not confident in my salvation, and I want to just affirm my salvation. Hey, today is that day. Today is that day. So I'm going to invite all of us to stand for just a moment. I'll invite everyone to stand. These two questions today from today's message. Stuff in my life. I know I need to get some things right. And I'm going to leave that with you and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, He'll help us. He'll help us, right? We don't all need to raise our hands and say, yeah, that's me. I need some things worked out. Because the truth is every hand could rise today, right? We all got stuff that we're still working on. Will you work in conjunction 
with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Let's, let's work with our Savior. Listen, if He's pointing to something in our lives, why not just let Him have His way? Hey, if you let Him, I've discovered in my own life, because I've been resistant in my life, right? And if you've been resistant in your life, you know what I'm talking about. When you resist, listen, God loves us so much that what will He do? He will chastise. Can I say cooperation with God the Spirit is way better than the chastising of the Spirit? It's easier to give up than to go through the discipline and later give up. So why not cooperate? Can someone say amen? Yeah. Are we all adult enough to respond to the Lord? Probably not. But that's why there's brothers and sisters to spur one another along. But I'm going to invite you to obey what the Spirit of God is saying to you. I will ask this question in relationship to salvation. If you're here today and you've not given your heart to Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Do not harden your heart as in the days of the rebellion. If you're here today and you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ and you would like to, even now, make expression of faith and simply say, I am putting my faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. The Bible says confession is made with our mouth and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If that's you today and you would like to be included in our prayer this morning and you would like to make a bold statement of faith, would you simply indicate it by raising your hand today and say, that's me. Praise God. Number of hands going up. Some of you I know are already saved, so maybe you're making a recommitment. Here's the thing. If you're recommitting your life to the Lord today and you say, I've made a commitment here. I got some road miles in here that are not resplendent of a life following Christ, and I just want to affirm my salvation. Maybe you've lived real well. Maybe you've lived real well, and you just want to confirm your faith. Right? First John tells us in chapter 5, he says, These things were written that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, if you don't know, well, I believe the Spirit of God wants to give you that assurance. If you'd like to be included in this prayer, just reaffirming your faith, not necessarily because you've got this road miles that are bad, maybe you've got road miles that were great, but you just have a lack of confidence and you want to know that you know. If that's you, would you just raise your hand where you are right now and say, remember me. Yeah, remember hands. Remember hands. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come in the mighty name of Jesus. We are so very, very thankful that you are coming soon. Our soon coming King. Hallelujah. Thank you that there is going to be a gloriously epic second coming, the second advent. We're looking forward to that. Lord, in the midst of this life, in our salvation, there are some who would, Lord, be just bombarded with perhaps doubt or circumstances or maybe defeat in overcoming sin or wherever it may be that erodes our confidence in our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that when there's been an expression of faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, 
The confession of mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's everybody say that together in this prayer. Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we make that declaration. Your word says, believing in our hearts, we shall be saved. That you were raised from the dead, confirming all that you had said and all that you had done. Now, Lord, I pray that all of those things that seem to erode confidence would be erased in the name of Jesus. And with great eagerness, great expectation, we would in our hearts long for your appearing. Lord, again, there are those who need Christ in our lives. Help us, Father, to make it our mission, our mission to be about our Father's business and to make it our mission to be an example and to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, will you seal these things in our hearts and in our lives? Will you go before us this week? Lord, will you make rough places smooth? Will you anoint and bless our lives that we might be light shining bright, that we might be salty salt, and that, God, we would not be a light under a bushel, but rather one upon a hill that can be seen by all, and that others would desire Jesus who dwells in us. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask your blessing and your anointing on all who raise their hands, and that we would walk in victory in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen.